0: Have you ever wondered what heaven will be like? What does the Bible say about heaven? And the question that also arises, should we even ponder that? In today's society and culture, is the discussion of heaven even meaningful? Aren't there enough issues today to contemplate here and now? Why even spend time thinking about heaven? Hi, my name is David Dennis, and I'm so glad you joined me today for this second of five podcasts about seven myths about heaven. You know, C.S. Lewis in the book, The Last Battle, said, quote, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up, come further in, End quote. While we as believers often voice a desire to go to heaven, I wonder if there is some degree of reluctance to even think about it or to have that as a goal. Maybe we think that heaven will be boring. The last time we discussed the first myth, that heaven will be boring. We learned that heaven, however, is far better than here. Philippians 1.23 says, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You know, we will have meaningful work to do, and in God's presence there, presence there is fullness of joy. Psalm sixteen and eleven reminds us, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So myth number one is that heaven will be boring, but the truth is it will be far better than here. We'll have full, meaningful work to do to glorify Christ. As believers, we have a fantastic future ahead of us. Well, the second myth is going to be about angels, that if you're good enough, you'll become an angel when you die. You know, when I think about angels, my mind often goes to Clarence, the guardian angel for George Bailey, in that movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Clarence said to George, quote, Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? End quote. George's daughter, Zuzu, says, quote, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings, end quote. You know, I occasionally read obituaries that imply that the person who has passed away, quote, finally got his wings, end quote, indicating that that person is now an angel. But is that at all biblical? Who are angels and what do they do? So angels and human beings indeed are two separate creations, Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5 says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So, angels and human beings are two separate creations. It is true that we're separate creations. However, there's indication in Luke 16, verses 19 through 23, that we will be carried to heaven carried to God's presence by angels. Verse 19 of Luke 16 says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22 says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So there's some indication from this passage that when we die, uh, we'll be carried to the Lord's presence by angels. We know that Paul says that uh, when we are absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord will be an instantaneous thing in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But who are angels? Hebrews 1.14 reminds us that, are they not all ministering spirits, referring to angels, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? One of my favorite websites for answering questions is gotquestions.org. That's gotquestions.org. From that website, I'm going to quote a little bit lengthy section talking about who angels are and what they do. Quote, As ministering spirits, angels serve believers in several ways. At times, angels are sent by God to answer prayers. An example of this is when Peter was imprisoned shortly after the execution of James in Acts 12. As Peter was in his cell chained between two guards, Quote, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Verse 5, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell from Peter's wrists. The arrival of an angel to rescue Peter was an obvious answer to the church's prayer. God can use angels to answer our prayers just as he did in this instance, even if it is not in a visible manner. Still quoting from the uh, website, gotquestions.org. Another way that angels are ministering spirits is that they are sometimes sent to encourage believers. As scripture, uh, sorry, In Scripture, angels encouraged and attended the Lord Jesus at least twice after he was tempted in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's Mar- Matthew 4.11 and Luke 22.43. Another example of that is when Paul was encouraged by an angel during a storm at sea in Acts 27, verses 23 and 24. Another way that angels seem to be ministering spirits is by providing protection for believers. That's another service that angels seem to do for the Lord. For example, Psalm 91, verse 11. In 2 Kings, verse 6, an army of angels surrounded Elisha, protecting him from the Aramaeans. Daniel was protected in the lion's den by an angel who shut the mouths of the lions in Daniel 6, verse 21. So that's all from the um, website, gotquestions.org. So different examples of the way angels are ministering spirits for believers. So rather than the myth that once we die, we, quote, get our wings or we become angels... The truth is that angels and human beings are two different creatures. We are not changed into angels when we die, although angels may carry us to the presence of the Lord Jesus upon death, and we know that they are ministering spirits to believers. So the third myth is that we shouldn't think a lot about heaven. We shouldn't think a lot about heaven. I told the story in the first podcast about uh, these myths that I was meeting with a young man a number of years ago who really thought it was wrong to set our minds on things above, who thought it was wrong to even contemplate heaven because there's enough to do here and now, and we would just, uh, he just thought we will let let God figure out the afterlife. But is that what Scripture says? Some people say that if we are too heavenly-minded, we will be of no earthly good. Is that true? I don't think so. Scripture tells us in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. So Paul tells us in this passage that we are indeed to set our minds on things above, set our minds on heaven, not on things that are on the earth. In Matthew 16, verse 23, It says, But he turned, he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So we are to be mindful of the things above, not on the things of men. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus tells us to lay up treasures in heaven quote do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also if we set our treasure uh, sorry if we send our treasure ahead to heaven then our minds and our thoughts will be there as well And we're commanded to do that, to lay up treasure in heaven. Another reason to think about heaven is that the world is passing away. 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So the world is passing away. We're not to set our mind on things of the world you know, it seems that those who are most secure in their eternal destiny, who know with certainty where they are going when they die, are the ones who can serve others most freely here on earth and with the greatest sense of love, of purpose, of meaning. of meaning. Knowing that Jesus loves me and that I am secure in that love relationship with him helps me to be free to serve others in a more genuine manner. My wife and I knew a family a number of years ago who had several children. The parents were believers and uh, unfortunately, however, they had a very legalistic relationship with their kids. It seemed as though looking from the outside in that the children had to measure up or there would be severe consequences. The children really never knew where they stood with their parents. On top of that, the rules seemed to keep changing. The children as they grew up seemed to never be certain of their relationship with their parents. What was the outcome as they became adults? Rebellion, selfishness, fear, uncertainty, sadly. So instead of having the confidence that their parents loved them unconditionally, they were always uncertain about their relationship with their parents. And as a result, they grew up to lead even more selfish, fearful lives. I think it's like that with our relationship with God. If we know Him personally, if we're secure in a uh, loving relationship with Him by knowing that He loves us unconditionally and that He gave His life for us and and will always love us no matter what, it simply frees us to live outside ourselves, to love others in a more genuine way and to serve them. So the third myth is that we shouldn't think a lot about heaven because it may make us of less earthly good. I think it's just the opposite. The truth is we should set our minds on things above, seeking those things which are above, laying up treasures in heaven, being secure in knowing God and knowing Him personally and that He loves me unconditionally. gives me a confidence that I can love others in a more genuine way in the here and now. Next time, we're going to be looking at the question, will the Christian believer really spend eternity in heaven or not? That's an interesting concept, isn't it? So join me next time as we learn more about making disciples naturally.